0: Pastor Ed Taylor makes this observation.
1: You know, there are different studies and statistics that say, oh, the church attendance is down, church attendance is up. But we're, we're seeing in these latter days, more people get saved collectively around the world, churches growing than ever before. I see it only in, already in our own culture, large churches growing thousands and thousands and lots of church planting like never before. So the church is getting wider and wider, but not very deep. Why is that?
0: Let's pursue the answer to that question next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Whether it's a teenager that's rebelling, someone who now attends church once or twice a year, or even a former pastor who's no longer walking the way they once did, backsliding is a common experience. And maybe that would describe where you're at today. I'm happy to say there is hope and a way out. And today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor will recall a church who had left their first love to show us all how we too can
1: quit backsliding. Would you take your Bibles and open them to two places? The book of Hebrews chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 2. The book of Hebrews chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 2 in a Bible study that I've entitled, How do I quit backsliding? How do I quit backsliding? It could have easily been titled, How do I come back from a time of backsliding? But how do I quit backsliding? Because if we've learned anything in the last few studies, it's the truth that anyone, anywhere can backslide. You can backslide, I can backslide, marriages can backslide, churches can backslide. We read in the scriptures that apostles can backslide, kings can backslide, pastors, leaders, anyone, anywhere can choose to turn away from the love of God. It doesn't happen overnight. But through small, slow, subtle decisions, that the truth and the essence is of not doing what you're hearing. That's what we learn right here in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. We need to do what we hear. And when we stop doing what we're hearing, the drifting away begins. Some listening right now might be in the middle of backsliding so miserable and frustrated because we learned didn't we that backsliding equals misery and it's not getting you to the place where you thought it would get you and it's not accomplishing any type of peace or hope or strength in your life maybe you're in the middle of backsliding and you want to come back today i want to help you come back to your loving heavenly father today we want to learn how to quit backsliding what that looks like in our lives. Because one thing is for sure, Jesus is very interested in the affairs of his church and what's going on in the body of Christ on the earth today. But remember this, the church is not a building. The church is not this building. This building is simply concrete and drywall and it's empty most of the week. This room right here is empty most of the week. It's dark It's cooler, and and it's it's not alive like it is when you show up. Because the Bible teaches that buildings aren't churches, but you're the church, and I'm the church. So that this building comes alive when the church shows up. Now, I'm not opposed to the language. I mean, sure, some of you probably got up this morning and say, okay, it's time to go to church. I'm not opposed to the language because I think God understands what we mean. But it's important that we understand that you're the church. And that by you and me being the church, Jesus is very interested in your life. He's very interested in how you live your life. He's very interested in what direction your life takes. He doesn't want you just responding in cold religion, going through the motions of things you might have been taught, ritualistically coming to God on a regular basis, but rather he wants us to cultivate our relationship with him. Like any relationships, time and testing, devotion and commitment, His heart truly is revealed to us in John chapter 15, where he wants that abiding relationship. He in us, and I, and we in him. And so when things aren't right in our lives, in the life of our church, in the life of our church family collectively, we can expect Jesus to set things straight, which is what he does in Revelation. At the end of Revelation, or really in the beginning of Revelation, at the end of the Bible, Jesus writes seven small notes... To seven different churches geographically. Today we might call it a post-it note or a text message, but short and powerful messages that he has for the churches in these geographical locations. And for some of you, I want to remind you of this note to the church in Ephesus, but for many, you're going to hear it for the first time. There was a church in the city of Ephesus that was planted, for homework you can read, Acts chapter 18, 19, and 20. It was planted by Paul the Apostle on one of his missionary journeys. He came to a city, preached the gospel, lives were radically transformed, and he stuck around there for a few years to pour his life into them. And a church was birthed. And as they continued on with life, man, they were a great church. That They were doing great things. The gospel was sounding forth from this little church in Ephesus, which, by the way, you can visit Ephesus today. The ruins of Ephesus are still there in Turkey, and you can visit that today. Visit that today. But what you won't see is a strong, vibrant church there, unfortunately. Because you got a church that started out so strong. Then you come into the New Testament a little bit farther from the book of Acts to the book of Ephesians which was a longer letter written by Paul the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to this strong church that was making huge inroads. It says that they were enriched in every spiritual gift. Not only that, they were instructed on spiritual warfare. That's the book, Ephesians, where we learn how to put on the spiritual armor in our lives the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, that that our feet might be shod with the shoes of the gospel of peace, that we'd have the belt of truth, that we would use prayer and the word as the weapons in the spiritual realm. Why? Because every believer, every church that makes progress is going to face spiritual warfare. And the church in Ephesus was so powerful making such great inroads that they needed to be reminded very specifically, make sure you guys know you're in a spiritual war that it's a battle for the souls of men and women, that it's a battle to win a city for Christ and to make a dent in our community, to be the light and the salt of the earth. And now in Revelation chapter 2, about 60 years later, there's trouble in the church in Ephesus. Pick up with me now in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Revelation. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you've tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you've persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my namesake, and have not become weary. Now let's pause there for a moment because if we were to receive a note from Jesus with these introductory remarks, we would be encouraged because he sees so much good in the church. They're making progress still. There are many good works coming from them. Notice they're even discerning. They're able to tell good from wrong, good from bad, evil from good. They're able to take righteousness and say that is something that's important and to dismiss evil which I find is lacking sometimes in the lives of so many believers, unwilling to take a stand for righteousness. I wonder why. I wonder why it is today that you're unwilling to stand up for what is right and what is good and what is true, because that's the heart of God. In his nature, you know, God is gracious and he's merciful and he's compassionate and he's filled with love. The Bible actually says that God is love, but did you know that love also takes a stand for what is right. And God, he, he, from the character and nature of God comes judgment, holiness, righteousness. It's all part of the package. Well, here they are. They're taking a stand for what is right. A lot of good works. It says in verse two that they not only have works, but they have labor. And again, he repeats it in verse three, have labored. If you'd like to write in your Bibles, you can circle the word labor and write next to it, they have worked to the point of exhaustion. They're tired. They, they are serving God to a point where there is exhaustion and there's, they're tired because anybody that has ever sought to serve Jesus Christ understands that it gets tiring sometimes. You get weary, even so much so that the Bible would say, don't grow weary in well-doing for in due season you shall reap if what? You don't lose heart. But any true servant of God knows, man, it's easy to lose heart and it's easy to be wearied. Well, not only that, but notice they have patience, it says in verse 2. And again in verse 3, they have persevered and have patience. They've been able to press on. That word persevere literally means to bear up under the weight of a load, so that as things get heavier, and as things get harder, and as the culture gets darker, they've steadied on. And what an important key for us to make progress in our spiritual lives, but to press on. As you grow and mature, as you step out in faith, as you make the decision to serve Jesus here or share the gospel there or sacrifice in an area of life unto the Lord, you're gonna have to learn how to persevere. Or we might say it this way, you're gonna have to learn how not to quit, but to keep going, to take the next step. To know that what you're doing is vital and important to the heart of God. That's the church of Ephesus. So far, so good. I mean, this is the kind of letter that we want to receive. So far, so good. And then there's verse 4. A word you never really want to hear out of the mouth of Jesus. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. I want you to consider something right now. Because we've learned in our last study that when Jesus declares the gospel message and he preaches a message of repentance, he says, you're either for me or against me. So by the posture and position of your life, you can actually position your life against Jesus Christ. And how do you do that? By not being with him, not being for him. But this is a little different. This isn't the church of Ephesus against Jesus. No, rather, it's Jesus against the church. He says, I have this against you. This is not good. This is not healthy. This is not strong. You you are making a grave error here. It's not going to end well. And I'm against this in your life. And you say, what is that? Well, in all their activity, they had left their first love. Those of you that have left your first love, Jesus has it against you. It is not okay with your savior. Now remember, Jesus is speaking to believers. It's believers that backslide. Unbelievers apostatize. Believers backslide. Believers live a life uh, that, that is often described as a prodigal life, where you walk away, you turn away from God temporarily. If you're a, a true believer, you'll be back. But, but as you walk away, one of the things that you choose to do is leave your first love. And the emphasis in the original language here is actually on the word first. It speaks of a priority. Backsliding is always an inside job. It's a matter of your heart. That's why today, seeing you as I do, seeing you eye to eye, I have no idea if you're backsliding. And some of you go, wait a minute, I'm in church. You know, how how can you call even consider me a backslider? I'm in church. Well, Jesus is writing to a church right now telling them that they left their first love. Because here's what happens. It is far too easy to pretend to be a Christian than it is to be a Christian. It's far too easy to put up a front to try to impress people around us and try to be the perfect Christian or try to put on some kind of airs about us. Some, like, look at us and look at it. It's too easy. It's, it's the easier way to pretend that you're doing okay than it is just to submit your life to Jesus Christ. And yes, you can be in a position where you've left your first love and still do a work for God. You can be in a position where you've left your first love and still labor... You can be in a position where you've left your first love and even persevere and even be able to tell good from evil. But understand, if you've left your first love, Jesus has it against you. It's not a good place to be. We learn in Hebrews it speaks of drifting away. And we've learned in other places it also can be referred to as backsliding. And yes, I, I, I see, I don't have any idea if you're backsliding because it's a heart issue. It's not where you are. Now, I have to say you being in the, in the place of receiving Bible study today, that's a good thing. Now, I know some of you are here because your mom made you. Good job, mom. Make them come to church every week. It's a good thing to be in the, under the teaching of God's Word. It's a good thing to be with other saints, because that becomes a place where God can really speak to you, and He can get you back on track, or for the very first time, lead you to the place where you repent of your sins, and you submit your life to the God who created you. It's a good thing that you're here, but don't confuse being in a building with other Christians as being, you're, everything's fine, because I did my Christian duty today. You know, I found that to be a big trap. I found that to be a big trap in those that have walked away from their first love, and that is by defining their lives by what good Christians do. Well, you know, I do this because that's what a good Christian does, and I do this because I'm a Christian. Instead of having your life being led by the Holy Spirit. Now, understand me here. The idea of being a good follower of Jesus Christ is one that who? Denies himself, takes up his cross, and follows Jesus. And if you define your life what good Christians, everybody has an attitude of what good Christians, everyone has an opinion of good Christians, but what does God want you to do? How does he want you to live your life? How often do you come to the word of God to get direction from the God of the word? How often are you allowing God to speak directly to your life? That you make decisions based on what the word of God says, not the opinion of man, not what a good Christian might do, not what a Christian in Western culture would do, but what does God want you to do? And how does He want you to live your life? When's the last time you even asked Him when you had a decision to be made, when there was trouble with the kids, when you had the issue at work, when there's conflict with another person, believer or unbeliever? When's the last time you just asked, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to handle this? What is your heart on the matter? What's gonna most reflect your character and nature in this situation? How do you wanna use me and how do you want to use this situation in order to change me that I might be more like Jesus Christ in my life? Oh, there you are, church, lots of works and labor. You can't bear those that are evil. You test those that say they're apostles. You've sp- bared up under the weight and the pressure. You have patience. You've been laboring for my namesake, and you haven't become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. I want you to notice that in verse 4 that they left their first love. They didn't lose it. They left it. Slowly but surely, day by day, week by week, you find yourself slipping away from your first love. It wasn't their love for each other. It wasn't even love for family. It was their love for Jesus Christ that began to suffer. And over a period of time, that simple love, that pure devotion, eroded and became cold, stale and lifeless. Sure, they were full of all the emotions, all the motions, but they weren't connected to Jesus. Yeah, they, they did all the right things, if you will. They worked really hard, and yet Jesus had this against him, and it's so common that it's sad. That we have, to, we have to find ourselves in a place of being active and yet not connected to Jesus through the actions. Too many are leaving their first love You know, what is their first love? How would you define first love? I think it's best to to go back to the time as a new believer or a newer believer, where everything was fresh and new, and you didn't really know anything. Maybe back to the days where you couldn't find a book of the Bible. Back to the days when when you heard a Bible study, you actually did it that same day. Where you just sensed that God was saying, I want to touch this in your life, and I want this over here, and this was, and you began to have a growing, abiding relationship with God. You know, I couldn't help but think of my own life as I began to think back on the new believer time in my life, and how important it was to me, to whatever the Bible said I wanted to to be done in my life. I wanted to be the kind of husband that God wanted me to be. I wanted to be the kind of dad that God wanted me. I wanted to be a son and a better. I wanted every facet of my life to undergo radical spiritual surgery so that I would be the person that would walk in unity with God. So I'd find myself at every Bible study that was possible. Back in the day, we would devour Bible studies on something called cassette tapes. You remember those? Cassette tapes. Cassette tapes. And we'd even have to take it out and flip it over so we could hear the other side. And I was so hungry to learn, what does God say? Oh, I didn't know that. Wow, that's amazing. And I had this, this desire and zeal. Remember, it was to the church, another church right here in Revelation, the church of Laodicea, that Jesus said something like this. I wish that you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. So I'll spit you out of my mouth. Imagine having not only Jesus against you, but to expel you violently in this relationship that you once had. When you compare hot, that would be really what Jesus is speaking of here. That first love, that the hotness and the the burning love that you had for him. Of course, cold would be completely against him and lukewarm is just horrible. You're not either or. You're just letting all kinds of stuff happen in your life and you're really not taking a stand for anything. It took just 60 years. Just 60 short years for a church that flipped their city upside down or right side up, if you will, to get a note from Jesus warning them, it's almost done, folks. It's almost done. I see that in the broader sense of the church of Jesus Christ today, of which we're a part of. You know, there are different studies and statistics that say, oh, the church attendance is down, church attendance is up. But we're, we're seeing in these latter days, more people get saved collectively around the world, churches growing than ever before. I see it only in, already in our own culture, large churches growing thousands and thousands and lots of church planting like never before. So the church is getting wider and wider, but not very deep. Why is that? Why are more people going to church? Why are more people raising their kids? Why are more people claiming the name of? Why is it that more people in our culture seem to be joining a church somewhere, but our culture remains unaf- unaffected? How, how is it? Well, there's a couple of thoughts. Number one, I think that there's a lot of people that profess Jesus Christ, but are simply not born again. And there's something about them that they want. They want to be a part of something. And they want to feel like they're close to God, but they've never repented of their sins. So they're just churchgoers. Unless you think it only happens out there, it certainly happens here. Among us. This isn't about them compared to us. It's about us, the larger body of Christ. You know, the culture is not being affected because there's just a lot of professing believers. Just play-acting. But secondly, the church is filled with backsliders. The church is filled with people that have left their first love.
0: Sadly, the church is getting wider, but not as deep as it should be. Pastor Ed Taylor just posed two possible reasons for that here on Abounding Grace. It's one part of a series Ed gave not long ago at Calvary Aurora on backsliding. All four studies in the series are available as a CD set. Request that by calling us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. It's just $8 for the entire series. That's 877-304-7223. Another option is to go to CalvaryAurora.org, where we house Ed's teachings. And we have a couple of apps that we'd like to recommend that are free and available on all platforms. Search for Calvary Aurora and the Grace FM Colorado apps. You'll be able to access Pastor Ed's teachings there. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to delivering God's Word to stations like this every day. But we can't do it alone. We're very thankful for the listeners that come alongside us. And if you'd like to help us reach people with the love and truth of Christ, please visit calvaryaurora.org or call 877-30-GRACE. And as you give $25 or more today... We'll say thanks by sending you The Holy Land Key by Ray Bentley. It's an eye-opener to some little-known aspects of prophecy. You'll learn about God's master plan revealed in the seven feasts of the Lord, the significant prophetic patterns discovered in the lunar cycle, and receive glimpses of God's future kingdom as revealed in the stories of people in Scripture. Ask for a copy of The Holy Land Key, Unlocking End Times Prophecy Through the Lives of God's People in Israel, as you call 87730 30 grace or turn to calvaryaurora.org on the web. How do I quit backsliding? That continues to be the question. We'll pursue the answer to it next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace.